Well, I am, I'm excited about tonight's message, and we are, um, in just a moment, we're going to open it up a little bit differently. Um, before I get there, though, there's something I've noticed. Um, you guys are incredibly defensive over my wife, all right? Uh, so I'm going to bring her up here. I know she's your favorite. I get that. I understand. Um, and so as I bring her up here, I got permission this week, um, and, and I'm going to have her share some things um, just to kind of open up our message, because she has a unique story. Um, she doesn't get to, to share that very often, or doesn't want to share it either way. I don't know which way that is. Um, and it's going to be sensitive, but I wanted you guys to know that I talked to her about this ahead of time. So please, no death threats, no hateful, angry emails. Don't find me in the parking lot after service. She agreed to this. So um, that being said, if my, my wife would come up here and, and help us to open up today. Um, and so some of you um, may not know this, but, but my wife and I, um, we're, we're both our, each other's second marriage. We've been married before. Um, and so we have, we have past, we have history of baggage. All my people with baggage said amen, right? We got that. Um, and so uh, we're a blended family. Um, something that's probably more obvious to you guys is uh, my wife is consistently a better person than I am. Um, and that's not a new development. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> She's, she's endeavored to do the right thing, where most of my life, I actually endeavored to do the wrong thing. I mean, that was just kind of how I was bent and what I did. And, and my wife, um, she's not that. But, but that being said, she's got a very, um, she's got a unique story. She's got a powerful story. And there's some things that have taken place, even though we come from different places, different backgrounds, and uh, our, our past don't look the same at all. Um, she didn't get out unscathed. Um, there was things that, that wounded her deeply. And there's one specific area that we want to talk about tonight that, again, she agreed to let me expose. Um, it is going to be an emotional thing for her. Um, but... Um, <laughs> Um, but, and that's her first marriage. And so, um, this is going to be just a short interview process just to kind of set us up tonight. I know it's a little different, a little unorthodox, um, but I thought it was very fitting um, for tonight's message, as you guys will hopefully see. And so, what I want to do right now is I want to start um, from the beginning. You, like a, a lot of young girls, you dreamed of, of being married, right? Yes. Yeah? Like yes. from an early age? like high school yeah, I so. mean you know it was before that I know it was um, <laughs> I was she, really sportsy type so I like, didn't really think about it until like high school so you know? um she she endeavored to do that right too um and and I didn't you know I kind of had the uh stereotypical bad boy mentality when it came to to women for a long time including high school but but my wife um she did something I'm actually very envious of not only did she save herself for marriage. She actually, you saved your first kiss for your husband, right? Yes. Isn't that incredible? I can't even fathom. Um, and so when you talk about doing it right, that's like doing it right. Like, I mean, it's just, I can't even imagine. And that was, I got married at 20. So that was 20 years old. 20 years Had old. opportunities, but just had a really set heart. And, and where did you meet your husband? Uh, at a Bible. At a Bible. See, man, she just like throwing it out there. Like, <laughs> I was like dealing drugs when I met my first wife, and she's like, oh, we're on a mission thing, and that's where I met my husband, um, and you know, I wondered why mine didn't work out. Um, <laughs> I could imagine like doing it right, um, but would you say things were pretty good in the beginning? 
Yeah, things were, you know, in kind of that puppy stage of just yeah, like coming in twenties. Like we both love Jesus, you know. We're yeah, doing it could what be better. Like, be doing. like kind of storybook set up, looking forward, planning your life together. Um, and and I, I mean, a lot of us had done that. If you've been married before, you know, we kind of fall on that. So your things are good in the beginning, um, but things begin to change over time, right? Yes. Can you share uh, just for a moment what that was like? Just kind of. And go into some details of the transitions that took place and how it impacted you personally. Um, probably when we started to think about having children, that's probably the biggest shift for a woman um, is, you know, the man, if they're, they're working, they go to work, but then when you have a kid, then the wife has to decide, well, am I going to work and am I going to stay home? Um, and so when we first started having kids, we decided that I would be a stay-at-home mom um, and have them at home, let them kind of get their, their roots there. Um, and then... Uh, we landed ourselves here, and I was a home mom. Uh, we came, and we had one car. You in- say here. I want to touch on that. You're, you're not from here, right? I'm not from here. You're from where? California. We don't hold that against her. Um, but... <laughs> But, but I do point that out. Um, I mean, you were here a long way from family, friends, support system, right? Yes. So I came here. Only my mom is here. She remarried. Um, and so I don't have any family besides that. And she was the only person I had when I moved here. So um, things are good. You guys have moved here. You've relocated. You're starting your family. Yes. So we moved here. Um, and then, you know, we get a job. And uh, then... Things began to change as we began to have children. Um, uh, it it kind of got into a situation where um, I ended up being home. Just kind of to get you just in a little time slot of pretty much three years span of taking a young 20-year-old, starting to have kids back to back, and um, home in a two-bedroom apartment, no car, um, pretty much just home seven days a week except go to church and things like that. No phone either. No phone, no cell phone, just a landline. So just... Internet? No. So so just an isolation period that I never saw coming. So kind of just a slow situation that I found myself in that I did not, didn't, did not know was coming, didn't know, you know, was kind of just being the perfect wife that I thought. I grew up in a broken home, so I didn't really know what a perfect wife was. So... I thought I was being a perfect wife and so got myself in a situation. Hey, kids aren't great conversationalists, are they? No, no. I feel like, you know, this is me is when I was a home mom, I felt my IQ just went, because like, and then when, you know, the husband gets home, you're like, I can talk to an adult now, you know, and granted no cell phone, so I'm not going to talk to somebody on a landline for a long time. So but. as you're making these changes that your, your husband is pushing you towards, um, how is the relationship with him going? What, what were some things that began to take place over time? Like maybe flags that started to, to show up um, in the relationship. Isolation was one. So that means uh, one car. At, at first it started as a financial thing. Then it kind of turned into we have the finances, but just through some situations, I was still not provided a car when I should have. So take that. I mean, that's three years, days and days where you just kind of go to church. Nobody else knows it's high by. This is my life. Um, I was very good at keeping secrets, thinking I'm protecting my marriage. Um, and so I'm a big advocate of you need someone to talk to regardless of what's going on. Um, and so that really damaged me from like in the early 20s of being home with just three kids had one after the other. How was um, he as a husband? Uh, begin to just disengage, uh, work a lot. But then the more kids we had, the more engaged he became, took a lot of time to himself. And so I pretty much just was like nanny and baby maker. Right. So, and that was 
really far from what I had dreamed of, of being. And the title baby maker, I know we've had lots of conversations. Um, it's not that you don't love your kids, but um, elaborate on that for just a moment. Um, there became, uh, there's kind of like this messy where I grew up in church and then there became this kind of um, manipulative goal of we will have this many children and, uh, you know, you think of, you start with one and then you kind of have those conversations as you go. Our, it was not a conversation, it was a goal and um, we weren't at that goal yet. And that was kind of my value just began to be, that was the only existence I kind of was for. And that really started to just begin to break down my walk with God. I loved God, but it began to just think, is that how you see me? Is that all I am? And I just began to... Begin to creep in as your identity? Yes, my, my identity was gone. I was just like, I get pregnant and I birth babies and they're cute and then I have another one. And that's kind of all I thought I was worth. My worth went to that's all I was. And, uh, and, and again, and how was he? What were some things that, that he was maybe doing or ways that he was treating you to, to further um, uh, kind of take away that identity and, and your value? Um, kind of started to turn into emotional, mental, and verbal things. Just, just so sly. That's uh, Probably that's where I relate to people who've been through abuse of why, why don't you get out of situations is because... It just happens so slowly, not yelling, but so slowly. And then phrases are said that stick with you, that take years to overcome and, and heal from. Um, I mean, it's just slowly breaking you to, to shattered. Yeah. And I mean, it's just a small glimpse of, of just kind of what, what was taking place there. But, but towards the end, um, so a lot of things actually happened in between this. We're going to fast forward for time's sake. Um, um, but at the, end of the, at the end of your marriage, like here you are, you're still married um, and, and you're kind of uh, deciding what's going to be next. Where were you at mentally, emotionally there? Uh, mentally, let's say my number four, I had four back to back. So the oldest one is six and I was pregnant having number four. Um, mentally, I cried through the whole pregnancy of the, the fourth one, and uh, I became at a very devastating spot, which is um, at that point, I did believe all I was was a baby maker. Um, I didn't have a good friend base. People at church knew me, hi, bye. Again, no one knows what I was going through. Um, and then it became to where I was afraid of having another child because that fourth pregnancy is very difficult physically. Um, and mentally, and so I hit a stage of um, that I, I need to not have any more. And did you hit a stage of depression? Uh, I don't even know really what to really call it, but it was almost like if I were you happy? No, it was more of if I have another one, I will like my brain will be gone. Like I knew that, and then I started to think of abortion. Like if I get pregnant again. I can't make it through this. And that's not who you are. No. So I was like, to hit that wall, I was like, this is not who I am. And I'm, I'm losing myself. And, and you were struggling um, with, with other thoughts during that time, right? Uh, that came at, the, at probably the time of divorce. Where so where were you at there? Mentally, um, I got to a stage where, of course, uh, when your self-esteem as a female is bottom low and there's some other things happening, um, then I self-harm was more of my coping or to think of suicidal thoughts. It was not that I was going to do it, but that is what gave me a sense of control 
and a sense of um, almost comfort. And it sounds bad, but that's, that's, that's the stage I was at. So, so here you are, you're still in your 20s, early 30s at this time, mm -hmm. um, and um, you've endeavored to do everything right. Um, not to say that my wife was perfect. I mean, none of us are perfect. I'm sure there was things, but, but you really had endeavored to, to be a good wife, to be a good mother, to do everything, and then you're kind of at the end, and, and this moves to divorce, correct? Yes. Um, and so at that point, where would you say you were at with God? Uh, I was very, I felt betrayed by God because I had, for one, I mean, safe sex in my first kiss till I'm 20. Come on, like, you know, <laughs> that's not what I expected. Um, I came from a broken home, so I expected that I did A, B, C, and D. Then this is how my out should, you know, could come. I protected my marriage. And so then I thought, well, then nothing bad should happen. You know, that should last forever. I, I do. And then as a wife, I didn't have, you know, grew up in a home where you have both parents, so I didn't really have any kind of gauge. So I just thought I'm being the perfect wife, so I'm covering every secret, I'm, you know, doing, bending backwards, I'm doing everything to make my, my marriage work, um, and so... So you're angry at God, mm -hmm. and, and what, what do you begin to do in your anger? Do you lean into him? No. No? So, and this was, I mean, I grew up, I didn't have a dad at home, so like, I, my mom was a Christian woman, and, and so she, I learned how like, God was my father. Like, that is something I can confidently share with people. Because like, your real father left when you were eight, right? Yeah. I mean, so Alaska. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's just who you had. Yeah. You, you had and, God. You had mom. You had God. Yeah. And then here you are, and you're isolated. You're alone. You're in a state that you didn't grow up in. There's, there's hardly any family here. And just that, that rock, um, God, your father... Yeah, you become angry at him. So it was, and, and it was you a, begin to do what? Distance yourself. It was a big deal. So basically, it's kind of like you have a house, all the doors are open. I'm just like slam all of them. Like I trusted you. I did everything that I knew biblically and in life to do right, and my life still shattered. And I didn't understand that. I felt betrayed by him. Like I don't get it. Um, and I was like, I believe you're God because I've just seen too much in life to know there's anything else other than him. I just, I've been, I've been through so much, seen so much that's like, you are the one, but I don't trust you. And like walls up and it's like. I experienced those walls too, <laughs> but well, that's another message. <laughs> um, oh, so so you're angry at God. You've turned your back on God and you go through the season of rebellion, right? Yeah. So like, since I didn't really do that growing up. I felt like I hit that stage as a mother of, of four and um, in, my, in my late 20s, about 29. Um, and so I just began to, I mean, when you're, you're broken to your, you're shattered, um, then I basically, to sum it up, I lost hope. I lost sense of purpose. Why? Why try? Um, and then as I was only seen for physical objects, I began to act like I am just a physical object. And then I entered my stage of, you know, I don't care. <laughs> and so eventually, though, as uh, we know that you, you eventually came back um, to your senses, you came back to God. Yeah. Um, and what began to take place in that? Um, so I tried it my way. And, of course, being through, you know, a long period of of, of have been married before, and I just came to this place of, like, I'm doing it my way, and it's not working. You've experienced the brokenness that's out there. I mean, um, doing it my way. Uh, you realized it wasn't the right way? 
Well, for one, I was convicted the whole entire time. And so you have moments where you're like, yeah, it's okay. And then you're like, I don't, I don't feel good at all. I don't feel like I can even share with others like about my faith because like, dude, I'm not walking it out. And so, um, and it was, it was just me trying to meet my own needs. And then I got to a spot where like that causes pain. I've already been through incredible pain and I'm causing my own pain. So if you could summarize, um, just as you turn back to God, um, just what, what, what took place, single word, um, as you turn back to God, what he did, um, would you have a word for that? He just built my trust back. Just built like, trust back. All the doors that I shut, he one by one showed me that he's trustworthy. I grew up knowing him, so I was like, you know, let me give you a door. I just started with one door, no. and then he began to show that he's trustworthy, and I began to give him another door. And another door. And eventually, um, would you say that he restored everything that you felt like was lost? Yeah, like I, I thought, yeah. I didn't know. Um, I actually have a, a memento at home um, that a pastor gave me. Um, and it's a ship in a bottle. And when everything kind of happened at first, just my devastation, um, him and his wife came to me and they gave me this ship in a bottle. And they're like, they knew, my, they knew me since I was younger um, that's a long story, but, um, and they gave me this ship in a bottle and was just like, I don't know how God's going to do something in your situation. You're away from family. You know, you haven't, you've been a home mom for seven years. Like, I don't know how God's gonna, you know, work miracles in your, your life. And I still have that today. I thought about bringing it, but I didn't. Um, but I don't know. God just restored. He gave me back, you know, more than I thought that I could, and then just doing it on my own, man, there's, there's nothing that compares to doing it his way. It's hard. It is hard out the get-go, and, I don't, and it's not easy, um, but just letting him in, I just, like, again, I say, is he's a gentleman, and um, whatever access you give him, he shows he's faithful. He does stuff that, I mean, the job that I got at first, that they knew my situation with my kids, and, like, I'm it, um, and, uh, I don't know. God just opened doors one after the other as I gave him access. Very good. And you guys give Janelle a hand for opening up this stuff. Yeah, I keep encouraging her to give her full testimony. So hopefully someday you guys have heard just a glimpse, man, push her to give the whole thing. Um, But she has such an incredible story of of God's faithfulness and, and her endurance and uh, this brings me to tonight's question. How do you respond to things that have taken place in your life? Um, and that's what we want to talk about, that um, we want to talk about the response. Tonight's message is titled this, Dear God, um, and, and I know we're, we're way in tonight's time. I promise to be fast. Um, but um, tonight's message is titled, Dear God, and, and I want to look at a season of King's David. <laughs> you guys hush. Um, <laughs> the story of King David's life, because uh, the fact of the matter is we all have, we all have things. Um, obviously, I lived my life differently. You guys have heard bits and pieces of my story. And so to me, it was like, no wonder my life has fallen apart. Um, but you can endeavor to do things right too. And we still face trials. We still face things. Um, that's inescapable because we live in a, a fallen, broken world that, that there's things that are always going to happen. And so we have a responsibility to respond in a way that's healthy. And so we're going to look at King David's life. Um, and so before I do, this is King David, who um, he was the second king of Israel. He was a young shepherd boy, and he's watching his father's flock. And he's out there, and then 
Samuel comes, calls in all of Jesse's sons, and, and David's left out there kind of forgotten. That's another message. But he's finally brought in, and he's anointed to be the next king of Israel. Some time goes by, and eventually he has the opportunity, David does, as still a young teenage boy, he faces Goliath, and he, he defeats this giant to the glory of Israel, to the glory of God, and Saul recognizes him, the people begin to recognize him, and, and David's position begins to change. And so after this, he's no longer shepherd boy, he's become, becoming um, brought in to King Saul's court. This is the king that he'll replace, that God has ordained and destined him to replace. And so here is David, he's out of the fields, and he's in the courtyard, and he's serving God, and he's serving Saul, and he's serving the people of Israel. And he begins to to play music for the king. He begins to, over time, lead King Saul's army um, to great triumph because he's such a, a faithful guy. He pursues God in such a way that God blesses everything that he does. And he continues to be elevated and he continues to be elevated. He's on one of those rises that, that occasionally we get the opportunity to be on where everything's going right. Like everything's going our way. And, and here's David and, and people begin to sing songs about him, about the people he's conquered and how great he is. And people begin to compare him to King Saul and begin to put him in a light that's greater, which would make sense, right? God's ordained him to be the next king of Israel. And even Saul's own son, Jonathan, is okay with this and makes a pact with him. And he says, he listened. Like, I mean, basically, I know that you'll be king. And he was okay with it. I mean, so here's the guy that was gonna be next to the line saying, I'm gonna step out of the way and I'm gonna let God be God in this moment and place you in there. And everybody was great with it except King Saul. King Saul wanted to hold on to his power, his position. He wanted his family legacy to extend past him. He wanted his son to be king, whether he wanted to be or not. And, and he began to have discontent in his heart and hatred towards David. And that's where David's story begins to change. No longer is it blessing after blessing after blessing and God's grace and, and everything's great, um, but, but he, becomes, he comes into this season that's difficult, this season that has him running for his life, literally. And in 1 Samuel 19.10, it says this, this is at a dinner, Saul hurled, this is the king, hurled his spear at David. Saul wants to kill David. I mean, God's blessed David, right? God has a plan and a purpose for David, right? Surely this can't be part of David's story. But Saul hurls a spear at David, but David dodged out of the way, leaving the spear stuck in the wall. He fled and escaped into the night. This was a very real moment in David's life. I mean, when we look at our stories in the Bible, it's not fiction, it's not fairy tale. David was a real guy who, who was really anointed and really blessed and he was doing all of these things and God had great plan and great purpose for his life. But again, David lives in the same fallen, broken world we do and, and sometimes things don't go the way that we think they should go. And even though David has done nothing wrong, he's faithfully served the guy that he knows he's supposed to replace. He wasn't underhanded or undermining the kingdom at all. He continued to elevate Saul in tremendous ways. And still, even though he endeavored to do everything right and to be faithful to the very end, he finds his very own king trying to kill him trying to take away his life in that moment. So bad things happen to all of us. Now, I don't say that to minimize where we've been, but it's just the reality of the world we live in. 
No matter how hard we try, our efforts can never be good enough to keep us from trauma, to keep us from pain, that eventually we're gonna run into something. If you live long enough, right, you're, you're gonna see bad things and you're gonna go through bad seasons. And so we encounter things like loss of job. It may not be the king hurling a spear at us, but there's moments in our lives that can be equally painful, equally unplanned, and equally detrimental to what we think should be going on. Again, it could be loss of job, sickness, divorce, adultery. There's things that take place in our life. And the thing about all of this is they don't require us to play any role. We can do everything right, but that won't keep sickness at bay necessarily right? That that can still creep in. Loss of loved one can still take place. That's something that's out of our hands, that, that things can take place in our lives that, that we can have nothing to do with. And we're sitting there saying, why God? I've done everything you've wanted me to do. And I go to church every Sunday. I go to recovery. I read my Bible. I pray, why God has this taken place in my life? And David found himself in a very similar moment. And though we can't control every outcome or necessarily stop things from happening, we can control how we respond. C.S. Lewis said this, we ought to give thanks for all fortune. I think it's funny, all fortune. I mean, that's good and bad, right? If it is good, because it's good, right? Praise God. I love to praise God in the good seasons. When I have money in my pocket, my bills are paid and everything's going great, man. We love to praise God in those moments. But he says in all, all fortune. And C.S. Lewis, he continues, he says, if it's bad, because it works in us patience. Oh, I hate patience. Humility, but I love this last part, and contempt of this world and the hope of our eternal country. I love the way that he frames that, that he just reminds us in that moment what scripture tells us, that, that we're not citizens of this place, that we're not meant to be here forever anyhow. And so we shouldn't have love for the world. We're, we're called to be in the world for a season, but, but we shouldn't lose sight of God. And if everything's going great, and everything's going perfectly, you know what I find to be true in those moments? I don't have much need for God. I don't lean into him. I don't grow my relationship. I put all my stock in something that, that's a breath, that's a whisper, that's gonna go away anyhow. But when times are hard and difficult, even though God doesn't bring that calamity, even though God doesn't bring that trouble or, or make me go through those things, he sees me through them. And it causes me to lean in and to trust him and to pursue him with everything. And so here's David in this moment. Here's David, the ordained king of Israel. He's received God's promise. He's had mighty triumphs. God has a plan and a purpose for his life. People recognize him to be great. But here's David in this moment and everything has begun to be taken away from him, stripped from him. And so what does he do? What did he do in this moment? His response was this, 1 Samuel 22, 1. It says, so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his relatives joined him there. And so in this moment, David begins to retreat, which I don't know about you, but, but when difficult things happen in my life, that's my first go-to. And it's not bad to, to retreat, to take a step back and to evaluate the situation but what can be bad is the way that we do it. If we're gonna step back, what should we do? And so again, David left, he escaped to the cave and soon his brothers and all his relatives joined there. And so first I wanna point out that he didn't go alone, that in his retreat, as he went to his cave, as he stepped back to evaluate the situation and get a game plan, he didn't isolate himself. 
In fact, he brought his relatives with him. And so they're there. And so he withdrew. He didn't blame God. He didn't take matters into his own hands. He continued to be faithful and he continued to pursue God. And this cave, it represents something in our own lives that, that when we're going through situations and troubles and problems that, that we have to take a step back into our stronghold and evaluate what we do. And David did something incredible there. He continued to fight for Israel, which was amazing since he was still fighting for the king that was trying to kill him. We have stories where he defended Israel from the Philistines, even in those moments. Two times he encountered Saul and refused to kill him and remain faithful to God. And he also wrote a few Psalms. And that's what we're gonna touch base on real quick, that, that in his cave, um, King David wrote Psalms 34, 57, and 142 while he was on the run from Saul while he was in his stronghold, when he was stepped back. And we're gonna look at some lessons tonight from some passages from each of these that we can learn what to do in our caves. And so point number one is this, our cave is a time where we should recognize the goodness of God. We should recognize the goodness of God, which is exactly the opposite of what we wanna do when things are hard or difficult or not going our way. And so David in Psalms 34, in his season of calamity and difficulty, he wrote this in verses one through three. He said, I will praise the Lord at all times. Like, bro, you're living in a cave. You just came from the palace and this is the mentality you have? Like, no, I will praise the Lord at all times. At all times, I will constantly speak his praises. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. And so human nature is not this. It's not to do this, but if we wanna survive those seasons of trouble, if we wanna have a response that glorifies God, the thing we have to, to keep in front of us and not lose sight of is God's still great even in the middle of our storms, that, that the failures in our lives, the things that have happened to us, what we're going through, they don't impact the character of God. Right. He didn't bring them. It, they're not his fault. And so God is still good in the middle of those seasons. And David recognized that as he's living in a cave with his in-laws and stuff. I mean, how hard is that? Um, but even there in that moment, God's still good and he sings God's praises and, and tells people in glory, psalms are worship songs to God. I mean, that's what he's doing in this moment is he's writing, dear God, you're so great as I'm in my cave, as I'm alone, as I'm darkness, as I'm so far from your promise. Dear God, thank you for being so good, for being so faithful. And it's something that we can all should take to heart as we face the things in our lives. In, verses, uh, in verse six, he said, in my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. He's still in a cave. But you know what he's doing? He's reframed and refocused and taken stock. Does David have everything that he wants in that moment? I imagine not. I mean, that's not exactly the most glorious place to be in that moment. But, but he recognizes God's goodness and thanks God for all that he's done. What has God done? He delivered 
David from the hands of Saul. Praise God. And so in those moments when we're refocusing and reframing our situation to, to point to the goodness of God, We've got to count our blessings and recognize where God has been faithful and God has been good and and look at the things that we still have. David had his family. David had friends. He wasn't alone. He was safe. He was fed. He was cared for and he was alive. And so in that moment, again, in verse six, he says, in my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. David's still not king. He's still not in the palace. He still doesn't have all that he was promised, but he recognized that the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. In verse eight, he says this, many of you will know this, taste and see the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. It's funny, I see this verse all the time when people are at their peak, their highest, and that's when they wanna pull that one out of the house. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I got my new house. I got my new, praise God, the Lord is so good. And David wrote that in a cave. And that's the mindset that we need to have. God is still just as good when we're on the bottom as when we're on the top. And so if we're gonna see it through our cave, we gotta recognize the goodness of God in the middle of it all. Point number two is this, in our cave, we should recognize God is still fulfilling his purpose for you. I'm gonna say that again, God is still fulfilling his purpose for you. Here's David, he's been taken away from the palace. He no longer commands Israel's army. He's no longer in the good graces and fellowship of his friend and king. He's been taken away from things that matter to him and God is still moving. God is still moving him to his destination, which was king, a promise that he received as a boy. And now years have gone by. And here he is in a place that would seem further away from God's promise than when he was tending to his father's sheep. It it seems like steps back, but God's still preparing him and equipping him because God's still fulfilling his purpose. And so Psalms 57 Verses one through two says this, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. David did not lose sight of the fact that God was still working in the middle of that mess, in the middle of that storm, even though things weren't perfect, even though things weren't ideal, even though things had been taken away from him and it looked like he'd taken 10 steps backwards, David recognized here that God was good and that God that made that promise, that the promise that David recognized that God was faithful enough to see it through to the end. And we get the same promise as Christians where we learn in our New Testament that that Jesus will complete the work that he started in us, right? That if we've leaned into him in our recovery, in our marriage or whatever it is, if God's began a work, we might come in situations that, that feel like we've taken steps backwards, but God's still good. God's still faithful. God's still moving us towards his plan and his purpose. It's up to us to stay focused. God doesn't get distracted. God doesn't get discouraged. And God doesn't move away from the things that he's promised us. We're the ones that lose sight. We're the ones that fall away. We're the ones that fall back. 
We're the ones that become unfaithful. But if we're willing to stand firm in our cave, in our retreat, in our refuge, and we're willing to continue to pursue God in every area, in every avenue of our life, God is good, God is faithful, and God will continue to fulfill his purpose for us. How can we be sure of this? Um, Verse seven in Psalms 57 says this, my heart is confident in you. Say confident. David didn't lose his confidence in God. He knew that the God that delivered him when he worked his father's sheep would deliver him here. He knew that the God that delivered him from Goliath on the battlefield would deliver him here. The God that stood with him as he conquered army after army in service of Saul in Israel and God would deliver him here while he was in his refuge far from the things that he wanted and desired. My heart is confident in you, O God. Oh, my heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. And I love that last part. He can sing his praises not because his situation's perfect, not because he has everything that he wants, but because he's confident in God. He's confident that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is still fulfilling his plan and his purpose. His confidence in, in is in God. And what we do is we get distracted. We lose sight of this. And if we want to continue to weather the storm and find our way out of the cave, we cannot lose sight that, that God, that God is good. He's faithful. He's there. And so again, verse seven, he said, my heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. And then point number three is this. In our cave, we need to realize only God knows the way out. Only God knows the way out, that that we can endeavor to do things our way, and we're going to run in circles, run in circles, hit walls, failure after failure after failure. And and I love my wife's story for many reasons. It it led her to me, and and I'm grateful for that. Um, And we all know that that I needed a good woman like her. Um, But but the part of her story is she... (laughs) She was far from God for a moment and she turned her back. And you know, the thing that she discovered, her way wasn't good enough. Her, her way wasn't gonna fulfill her. Her way wasn't gonna see her out. It wasn't till the, to the point where she turned to God and said, you're faithful. I lost sight of everything. I got distracted. You were good the whole time, God, that she recognized that he knew the way out. So again, point number three is this, only God knows the way out. And so... Psalms 142, if you guys have Bibles or whatever, we're actually gonna walk through this entire thing. It's incredibly short, seven verses. Psalms 142, starting in verse one, and it says this, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and I tell him all my troubles. I love that, that that David's still talking to God. It's dear God. I mean, he wrote three Psalms in his refuge, in his isolation, far from this. Like the communication was open and up front that that he poured his heart out to God and we should do the same. And so again, I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles and we can do the same. God, God knows our heart but he wants to hear us confess what's going on. In verse three, he says, when I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Again, when I'm overwhelmed, how often are you overwhelmed? All the time. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Anytime, anytime I'm relying on my strength, my direction, I'm so lost. 
I'm, I'm so close to falling back into old things. But, but when I'm overwhelmed, I need to recognize that only God knows the way out, that you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. And he continues, I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. You guys ever felt like you're in those seasons, right? And in those seasons, we get angry at God. God, there's nobody here for me. Everybody's trying to out to get me. He says, no one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then, say then. Then I pray to you, O Lord, and say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in my life. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. David continues time after time after time in this moment of turmoil to turn back to God, to write him, to pour his heart out to him and to trust that he will move in the middle of all of this. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. And then he wraps it up in verse seven and he says, bring me out of prison so I can thank you. I love that, that, that his whole heart here is again, not his will, but, but bring me out of this mess, God, so I can praise you. So I can praise you. Bring me out of this prison so that I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me for you are good to me. In our cave, we need to realize that God is the only right way out. That under our strength, under our ability, we'll fail time and time again. But we need to lean into God in those moments, more so than ever. Turmoil does not mean that God isn't good or that God's abandoned us or that God's done with us. But it's our opportunity to respond in such a way that, that glorifies him, allows him to heal us and to lift us up and to propel us to the things that he has for us. Recognize that God is our refuge. Ask God to place the right people in our lives. All thing that David did. And as David spent years living his life on the run, far from his palace, in a, in a place that seemed far from the promise of God, David remained faithful. David remained steadfast. David continued to trust and to lean into God. And because of that, According to the Old Testament, God honored David's high ethical standard. And soon, King David and his men, who had once hidden in the cave of Adalam, were known throughout Israel for their deeds of valor. And eventually, in God's timing, God took David out of the wilderness and placed him into the kingdom. And the same is true for us, that if we'll remain steadfast, if we'll keep our eyes on Jesus, that if we continue to run our race, that God will do great things in each of our lives. Tragedy, turmoil, that doesn't impact God. Don't let it impact your relationship, your trust, and your confidence in him. God is good today. God will be good tomorrow. No matter what happens to any of us as we walk out here, it doesn't impact God's character. Don't allow the enemy to rob you, rob you of what God has for you. And David's season, I have no doubt of this, that, that God used that, even though he didn't cause it, to continue to prepare and equip David for what would be next. That if we'll lean into God, that, that even though, again, he didn't cause those things, he uses those things if we'll allow him so that he can build us up. And so to recap tonight, point number one was this. We should recognize the goodness of God. 
No matter what's going on in our lives, no matter whether it's good or bad, God is good. Number two, God is still fulfilling his purpose for you. Don't let tragedy distract you from what God is doing or what God wants to do. God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. The enemy wants you to think that he's through with you. That, that trouble means that he's far from you. But don't let him distract you. God is still fulfilling his purpose for you. And number three, only God knows the way out. Lean into God in those moments. If you wanna see light at the end of the tunnel, you find that light through Jesus. That, that that's our way out, no matter what's going on in our lives. Only God knows the way out. Our action steps tonight, identify events in your life that have caused or are causing you pain. We all have them. I mean, all of us in here have lived plenty long enough to have a whole bag of baggage and things that are going on in our lives. Recognize, identify how they're impacting us. And number two, write a letter to God. I don't care if that sounds lame or, or any of those things. Take time, pour your heart out to God. Follow David's example regarding what happened, recognizing who he is, even during the difficult season and asking him for help pursuing his will. And so all of this that we talk about tonight, it starts with, with one decision that, that if you really wanna begin to step out of that cave, to find your way out, to, to discover new life, it starts with a relationship with Jesus. And so here in just a moment, as we close service, we're gonna have um, some ladies and some gentlemen up here, our chip prayers and huggers. And, and they would love to pray with you and for you. If you're in here today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life and you wanna take that next step, that, that first step really, and lean into him, we wanna encourage you to do that. And we'd love to pray with you and for you. If you're in here tonight and you're, you've done that, but you've gotten off track, you've fallen far from God, you got lost in your cave um, and your trouble and you're like, you know what? I recognize that I need him to, to find my way out. And you wanna recommit tonight? My offer still stands. We're gonna have people up here. We would love to pray with you and for you so you can recommit your life to Jesus tonight. And then if you need, if you need a white chip, what this is, is maybe God's brought something to the forefront of your mind during the message or during Janelle's testimony that, that you recognize, you know what? God can deal with that. I've been carrying that. I've been holding on to that. It's time for me to hand it over to him. If that's you tonight, I wanna to encourage you to come pick up a white chip. It's blank, so you can write down today's date. You can write down what it is. Really, it's just between you and God. You're saying, God, I'm, I'm giving this to you so you can handle it. I'm not gonna carry it anymore. And then lastly, if you just need prayer tonight, we wanna be known as a house of prayer. Like this is, this is God's house. This is a place where we can confidently come before him with all of our troubles to pour our heart out. And so if you need somebody to journey with you in that moment, to pray with you, we would love to do that as well. So for any of those things, to give your life to Jesus for the first time, to recommit, to pick up a white chip, or if you just need prayer, we would love for you just to join us at the front. And if you all could, as you can stand to your feet as we close in worship.